live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 8. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal, Season 8. Firstly, a huge thank you to everyone who reached out following last week's episode, Hate Springs Eternal. I always love any interaction from our listeners and finding out your opinions on the paranormal experiences that we feature. So, if you'd like to get in touch, either for some comments, feedback, or even to share your true paranormal experience, simply email us at thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. As we make our way through Season 8, today we have a very interesting story indeed, and one that I've thought about for quite a while since I received it. If you've been to a wedding of a friend or a family member over the last decade, chances are one of those weddings took place in some sort of country house, or here in the UK, a stately home of some sort. Couples looking to tie the knot are drawn to these places because they're usually exceptionally beautiful and very, very old. And so when lovebirds head there looking to create some of the best memories of their life, they should be aware that these places have memories too. And some of them are exceptionally dark. However, before we run headfirst into today's true paranormal experience... I of course need to say a big thank you to our newest Patreons. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and before everyone else, you can also receive access to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is released each and every week, even on the downtime in between seasons. And right now, we've built up an amazing back catalogue of Dark Bites episodes for you to binge. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon, and we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal, just like these wonderful new team members have. Andrew Cavell, Nick Gorman, Lucy Wright, Melissa Schultnecht, David Peterson, Tristan, Alex, Bam Blade, Jessica Blank, Michelle Cordray, Joanna Emmett, Angie Siebens, Megan, Teresa Thomas, Erin Turner, R6God, Caroline Spateri, Natalie Baldwin, Curran Hunter, Crystal Tongay, Amy Orette, Sephra Tita, Christina Bianca, Monica Manrique, Sharnay, Georgia Gianni, Jennifer, Evelyn Winters, Lakshmi Venukumar, and Katie Naylor. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoy all the ad-free early releases and, of course, the new episodes of Dark Bites each and every week. If you'd like to join our team, head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. But right now, lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and, most importantly, leave your disbelief at the door, as we hear all about The Servants. Of darkness. Firstly, I'd like to say that I'm new to this whole paranormal thing. Not in regards to experiencing, as you'll soon hear, but I mean in regards to the theories, the things apparently involved. It was following a game of football, once back at the pub, that we started to discuss ghosts, 
and the paranormal. And a teammate of mine mentioned your podcast after I told him the story that you're about to hear. My name's Andy, and after listening to a few seasons and how you approach the topic, I've decided to sit down and write up my true paranormal experience. This happened around 10 years ago. Back then, I was in my mid-30s. I'd been an electrician since leaving school and had held a pretty consistent employment ever since. However, at this particular time in England, there was seemingly a surge of electricians and a reduction of work. Basically, a lot of independent jobs that made up the bulk of my work were absorbed by large firms, offering terms to these people to give them 365 maintenance cover. So many of my former regular customers were now unable to do business with me as they were tied in to 12-month contracts or longer with these firms. It was over a drink with a plumber friend of mine that we decided to pivot in how we looked for work. The plumbing industry at the time was experiencing a similar situation to mine, with firms snapping up whole areas with subscription-based cover. And so those ad hoc jobs, which we both relied on, slowly dried up. After a few pints, we moved on to discuss the events we had coming up in our lives. Both of us had a few weddings to attend that year, and we discussed the usual, what's an acceptable gift? Do you get a bigger gift if you're invited to both the day and the nighttime part? One thing that repeated itself in these chats was the location of the weddings. They were all in large, stately homes. This was the beginning of the trend of large country residences renting themselves out to allow people to have a big lord and lady type of feel to their day. And it was as we discussed this that an obvious gap became clear. What have all these places got in common? I asked Carl, my plumber friend. He shrugged. Two things, I said, pointing at my fingers with each point. One, they're all old and twacky places. Carl nodded. Two, they all offer some sort of hotel stay with each wedding. Carl again nodded. But have you ever stayed in one of these places? They've fallen apart. The last one I stayed in should have been condemned. It had one plug socket for the entire room, no air conditioning, and the bathroom was a disgrace, I stated. Yeah, but that's what people want, isn't it? The whole rustic charm, Carl said. Yeah, but there's rustic and then there's that, I replied. Well, what's your point? My point is that these places are always family-owned. They're always looking to make the most money and save the most money whenever they can. I tapped my finger on the table with the next sentence. I guarantee you that hardly any of them have got maintenance contracts. So you're saying we offer them maintenance contracts? Asked Carl. Well, not just that. I'm saying we rebrand ourselves as like, I don't know, a boutique renovation service. Think about it. We could fit all new sockets, lighting, 
a sleek-looking bathroom suite. Make it an actual five-star wedding stay. These places could charge double for a room if it's presented in the right way. At least, that'll be the sales pitch. Carl was as enthused as I was about the idea, and the next day we met at my house and sat at the laptop, getting the notes we'd made on our phones the night before into some sort of order and plan. So we got some brochures printed up with mock designs of before and after examples, and we hand-delivered them to every wedding venue we could find in the northeast, even posting a loadout to castle venues in Scotland. We had over a hundred brochures printed and got rid of them all in two weeks. Now it was a waiting game, or so we thought. Fifteen inquiries came back in two days alone. This was serious now. What had started as an idea over a few pints of Guinness was now looking like a viable business. But then reality hit. At least ten of the inquiries were looking for very basic one-off jobs. It was as if they'd scanned the brochure, ignored what we were actually offering, read the word electrician and plumber, and fired off an email. One was literally for a block toilet. However, within those emails was one that made us excited. A large stately home just off the northeast coast. The email simply said that they were gathering quotes for the modernisation of their 12 guest rooms. Apparently their contractor had let them down a few days after starting. A quick Google told us that this place was built in the 1700s and was solely a wedding venue. The rooms were only available to hire as part of the wedding package. This was exactly what we had in mind when we had the idea back in the pub. This was perfect. I replied and asked if we could visit the property so we could estimate the work involved. And a few days later, myself and Carl pulled up on the Pebble Drive. We were greeted outside by a bubbly middle-aged woman who introduced herself as Tracy, the venue manager for the home. I'll show you around the place so you can get a good feel, she smiled. And then once you've got your figures together, you'll need to submit them to Peter, the owner. I'll get you his details once you're done. We walked into the main reception area and could see why it was a great space for a wedding venue. Off to one side, a huge dining area was adorned with works of art. A high-vaulted ceiling supported a huge crystal chandelier, which hung in the centre of the room. The bedrooms are on the first and second floor, six on one, six on the other, said Tracy. Hey, it's a lovely-looking place, Carl commented. I bet it's haunted, he joked. Tracy's face turned kind of serious as she nodded enthusiastically. Oh yes, the second floor specifically. Carl looked surprised. Really? Oh, I I was only joking, I don't believe in all that. No, it's definitely haunted, Tracy continued. After a slightly awkward pause, I coughed and spoke. Right then, shall we take a look upstairs? Tracy's smile returned like a light switch being flicked and she led the way upstairs. So basically, rooms 1 through 11 are identical, 
a double bed with an ensuite and a shower. The layout is just mirrored dependent on if they're facing the front or the back, she said as she walked down the hallway. All of the doors were open as if being cleaned, so we could see for ourselves that this layout was the case. We made our way up to the second staircase to the second floor. Now, I'm not one to claim I have any psychic gifts or anything like that, but this floor definitely felt different. It felt darker, even though the layout was more or less identical to the floor below. Again, all these rooms are identical, except room 12, which is the bridal suite. That's twice the size, Tracy announced, pointing ahead at the room in question. We walked into the bridal suite, and it was genuinely like a museum. Wood panelling around the walls, and a four-poster bed positioned against the far back wall. Peter, the owner, has stated this room needs to still look authentic, so anything you do in here needs to be hidden or minimal, said Tracy. Carl walked into the bathroom. Well, this bathroom can't stay like that. Tracy joined him in the bathroom. If you look here, he said, pressing in between the bath tiles with his finger. The grout in between shifted from side to side. This is all going to fall out at any time. He pointed at the shower. And that shower base isn't level. It's going to cause stagnant water. He sniffed the air. You can smell it now, actually. All three of us sniffed, and he was right. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, well, if you put that in your write-up for Peter, I'll have a word with him as well. We had a good laugh with Tracy that day, and she could tell we were a genuine pair of lads, and hoped we got the job. And believe me, so did we. After working out the base costs and giving ourselves a nice little profit, but still low by comparison, we submitted our quote. That same day we had a reply from the owner Peter, offering us the work. It was that quick we wondered if we'd sold ourselves short. However, we'd soon learned that they were just happy to have someone willing to do it. And we'd possibly learn why the original guy had scarpered. I arrived early on day one. Carl had another job first thing and would follow on later. Peter had put in his email that we were working to a tight deadline. This was the last week of September, and the next wedding on their books was bonfire night, November the 5th. And clearly the rooms weren't the only thing getting a revamp, as the car park was full of labourers' vans, landscapers, roofers. It was a hive of activity. A young guy in a black suit, black tie, white shirt and waistcoat greeted me at the door with a clipboard. Ah, you must be Andy. Excellent. Follow me. He led me back through reception where Tracy was sat behind the desk. She gave a wave and a smile. Lovely to see you again. Oh, and look out for the ghosts, she shouted. I smiled and waved back. The young guy just shook his head and led me upstairs to the first floor. The first thing I noticed was how well the place was insulated against the sounds from both below and outside. The fire door we passed through basically shut off the outside world as it loudly squeaked close behind us. You know what you're doing then and you know where everything is? 
asked this young lad. I nodded. Yep, and if I need anything, I'll find you or Tracy. He smiled, tipped his clipboard towards me, and headed off. I began on the first room, moving furniture around and marking the walls for work. Half an hour later, I heard the squeak of the fire door, and then footsteps coming down the hallway. They stopped just outside the open bedroom door. I stopped what I was doing and focused on the doorway. Boo, said Carl, popping his head round the doorframe. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. Very funny, Carl, I said. Hey, it's manic out there. I only just managed to get a car park space. Yeah, it's chocker, I replied. I don't think they trust us either. What with that fella in the suit, said Carl, plonking his work bag on the bed. Oh, he's all right, I replied. He's just got to make sure everyone's where they're meant to be. I guess you're right, said Carl, unzipping his bag. Still, he whispered, there's no need to have him outside the room. Plus, if we were up to no good, I doubt some sour-faced old pensioner's going to stop us. Listen, he... I sat back on my knees. Old? Yeah, Carl replied nodding to the hallway. He stood at the end of the corridor. I walked over to the doorway. The hallway was empty. Carl, there's, there's no one here. Carl walked out to join me. He was there, stood by that window, said Carl, pointing to the end of the corridor. He must have gone downstairs. I looked to my right at the fire door and then back to the window down the hall. He would have had to pass us to get to the staircase. There's only stairs on that side, I said, nodding at the fire door. Plus, you can hear that door open a mile away. We looked down the corridor in silence for a moment. Well, then he must be in one of those other rooms, replied Carl. Listen, it definitely wasn't a bloody ghost or any such nonsense, he mumbled. And so we checked the remaining five rooms on that floor. All of them were empty. I looked at Carl and shrugged. 
Well, what do you make of that then? Well, well, I reckon... Suddenly there was a huge bang from upstairs. The light shade shook with the force. It was like a large wardrobe had fallen or a bed had been picked up and thrown against the floor. Carl instinctively reached out and grabbed my arm. Sorry, he said, letting go immediately. I just got a fright. He laughed. Bloody roofers, he said, walking back to room one. This freaked me out, though. Yes, there were roofers working, but we were on the first floor, and there was another floor in between us and the roofers, and that noise came from that floor. Back in the room, Carl grabbed his bag. I'm going to go up to that bridal suite to sort those tiles out. I'll do them first and then do the other rooms, and we can go back and finish that one once the tiles have set. Okay, I replied. If you need me, I'm going to sort out that air vent in the ensuite. Carl nodded and headed off. I waited until I heard the squeak of the fire door to ensure he wasn't going to try another unfunny prank before setting up in the bathroom and turning on my small radio. I set up the stepladder and started working on the vent. The screws were worn, and it took a good 20 minutes with various tools to get each screw out without damaging the wall. Finally, I managed to work it free. The cavity behind the vent was almost fully blocked. I reached in and began to pull out what seemed to be an old, filthy blanket, probably somehow shoved in there through the guard years ago to stop a breeze coming in the winter. As the final part of the blanket came out, a small object fell within the cavity. I reached my hand in and pulled out a small bottle. Not a modern bottle either. The glass was pitch black and the top was sealed shut with age, so I had no idea what was in it. But something was. I gave it a shake and something was rattling around in there. Now, I'm not normally superstitious, but something about this sent a shiver down my spine. I knew this needed to stay in the wall, and so I placed it back in the cavity where it wouldn't impact the new vent, and set about installing the new piece. I heard Carl come back through the fire door and enter the bedroom. Carl, could you do me a favour and pass me that small Phillips screwdriver on the side, please? I shouted. I heard Carl walk into the bedroom and stand behind me, so I placed my hand out to get the... Carl shook the stepladder. Christ's sake, Carl, what are you doing? I shouted, grabbing both sides of the ladder before I fell. I quickly jumped down and spun round, ready to knock his block off, and he wasn't there. I ran into the bedroom. He wasn't there. Carl walked in, whistling and looking at his phone. Was that you? I asked, clearly frustrated. Eh? Was what me? I've been upstairs. I only come down to show you this, he said, holding out his phone to me. On the screen was a small symbol carved into a wall. It was like a gate, but with curly pointer at the end of each spike. What's that? I asked. No idea. 
I've just removed the tiles in the bathroom and that's behind it. It looks old like. Anyway, did I do what? He said, putting his phone away. Nothing, it, it doesn't matter. I replied, trying to shake off my experience. Maybe I just lost my balance. Maybe the noises were on the radio. Nothing else happened as we worked through the remainder of the rooms. However, we found ourselves a few days behind, and I was concerned in the final week that we wouldn't be ready if we'd just done our standard hours. So I spoke with Peter, the owner, and asked if we could stay overnight for the final few days. That would allow us to start first thing and work right through. With not really any other option, he reluctantly agreed. Even though the delays were down to material suppliers and not us, I still felt pretty bad with this being our first job. So we agreed to reduce the price by a small percentage for any inconvenience, which Peter was more than pleased with. So, now feeling more at ease with the situation, we started on the final two rooms, room 11 and room 12, the bridal suite. On day one, we managed to basically finish room 11, and we were feeling confident we could finish the bridal suite over the next few days. Which room do you want? asked Carl that night. I'm not bothered, I replied. What one do you want? Well, I'll take the bridal suite, obviously. I deserve to live like a lord for a bit, Carl laughed. He could have it. That room gave me the creeps. What with all the panelling and the four-poster bed? No thank you. I took room 11, and although I was slightly anxious, that first night passed without incident for both of us. The next morning, after grabbing a sandwich from a nearby garage, we started work in room 12. I was a bit freaked out last night, I'll be honest, Carl said. Nothing happened like, but I just kept thinking about that symbol on the wall in there. He nodded towards the ensuite. I've tiled over it now, like, obviously, but it was a bit weird. I think the whole place is creepy, I replied. Like Tracy said, this place is definitely haunted. Carl shook his head. Don't be daft. It's spooky, I'll give you but all these places are. I shrugged and knelt down to the socket I was working on. The radio played as we both set about our tasks. I could hear Carl installing the new taps on the sink. Later on, he came out. Hey, come and look at this. I stopped what I was doing and joined him in the bathroom. Watch this, he said. He turned on both taps. What am I meant to be seeing? I asked. Just watch, he replied. We both stood staring at the taps. And nothing happened. That's weird, said Carl. Every time I turned these on before, they turned themselves off. He turned the taps off, then put them on again. Let's see if it happens now, he said. I folded my arms and stared at the water. Nothing happened still. I glanced up to look at myself in the mirror above the sit. In the reflection, someone just walked from right to left outside the ensuite door inside the bedroom. What the bloody hell? I shouted and jumped into the bedroom. It was empty. I ran to the bedroom doorway and scanned the hall. 
no one was there. What's wrong with you? Asked Carl, following me to the hallway. Didn't you see her? Like a woman with her hair up in a bun, mid-fifties. Carl just shook his head. No, I didn't. Are you sure you just didn't imagine it? I just glared at him. Do you think I'd be acting like this if I wasn't sure? All right, calm down, said Carl. Shit, I've left those taps on, he said, running back to the bathroom. I sat on the bed and stared at the floor. I couldn't wrap my head around what I'd just seen. I'd not felt fear like this. My adrenaline was coursing through my body. I began to take some deep breaths to... Something caught my attention in the bathroom doorway. A dark, shrouded figure was running towards me. I screamed and curled into a ball. And Carl removed the dust sheet from his head. Bloody hell, you need to chill out, man, he said, laughing. I could have killed him. You're an utter arsehole you are, I shouted at him. Right, I'm going for a smoke, I said, and I stormed out of the room. Have two, you bloody crank, he shouted after me. I was only having a laugh. Outside, I finally felt calmer and took several deep pulls on my cigarette. Tracy walked over to join me, pulling out a cigarette of her own. How's it going? she asked. Fine, thanks. It's a bloody spooky place, though, I replied. Tell me about it. Room 12's the scariest, she said. Well, that's where we are now, and I know what you mean. Do you know the story behind it? Tracy asked. I shook my head. Well, it all might be nonsense. But the rumour is, some of the servants way back when were really badly treated. But then this woman joined as the head of staff. She was into some sort of dark, magic, witchy things, and she got the others on board. They started doing spells and whatnot, and soon enough, the owners started treating them like royalty. He'd cook their meals. He'd do their cleaning. The new woman took his bedroom, room 12, for herself. Anyway, one of the servants, and no one knows why he done it, whether it was an offering or whatever, but he went and built a guillotine in the barn and used it on himself. Tracy pulled her finger across her neck. Apparently he'd carved all these little symbols into the wood of the frame. Anyway, a local farmer somehow caught wind of what was going on here and informed the authorities. They all ran off overnight, and when the police arrived, they found the guillotine in the barn and his headless body in a shallow grave out the back. I don't know if they found the head or not, she said, finishing her cigarette, like this was a completely normal story. Bloody hell. And what happened to the owner? I asked. Went mad, apparently. Got put in a home and his son took over the place. Scary, eh? Then her face dropped, and she pointed up. Look at that! I followed her gaze right up to the window of room 12 and I sighed don't worry that's just Carl messing around I said as he stood there in the window wearing the dust sheet again he thinks he's a funny arse Tracy breathed a sigh of relief 
and laughed. I finished my cigarette and headed up to the second floor. I could hear a thumping noise coming from the bridal suite and so I raced into the room. Andy, Andy, help! It was Carl from the other side of the ensuite door. Carl, I shouted. Oh, thank God, the door's locked on me. It's jammed shut. I tried the door, but it was stuck fast. Eventually, after a few shoulder thrusts, it opened. Thank God for that, Carl muttered, getting his breath. It just slammed shut. I think it must have been a through draft when you went out the fire door. As Carl said this, I was just opening and closing the bathroom door. I couldn't see any logical reason why it would jam in the frame. The door wasn't warped. If anything, there was a few centimetres gap around the frame. And then I realised something else. I looked at the dust sheet in a ball under the bedroom window frame. So you've been in there how long? Like the minute you left, it just slammed shut. So you've not had that sheet on again, I said, nodding at the dust sheet. What? Don't be daft, you think I'd just do that on my own for a laugh? Possibly due to being anxious, we powered through with the majority of the remaining work, meaning based on our estimates, we should be complete by around noon the following day. The next morning, after a fairly decent sleep considering, I went and knocked on room 12, Carl's room, but there was no answer. The door was unlocked and so I walked in. Apart from a dishevelled bed, everything was as it should be. But no Carl. Oi! Came a voice from behind me. It was Carl. He looked awful. He said he slept in his car last night, but wouldn't go into detail as to why. And I didn't push it. We cracked on with the work and finished bang on schedule around 1pm. As literally terrifying as it was, our first proper job was finished and it looked amazing. Every room was completely transformed. The owner Peter was over the moon and he said he would pass our details on to everyone he knew and he did and we were soon booked up solid for two months. One Sunday afternoon in the pub I brought up the topic of the strange happenings at the home of our first job. Carl quickly looked uneasy, fiddling with his pint. Then I remembered he'd slept in his car on the last night. Carl, why did you do that then? I asked. Carl thought about his reply and then began. I was lying in bed, not thinking about anything in particular. And at the end of the bed, about four feet away from it, this weird mist began to form into a shape. I rubbed my eyes, but it stayed. It was like nine feet tall, and it looked like it was forming into a figure. Christ, that's horrible, I muttered. Carl shook his head. That's not the worst part. I thought, sod this, I'm getting out of here now. And I slowly swung my legs around out of bed and stood in the bathroom doorway, and I know how crazy this sounds, was a man in a white shirt and a waistcoat, with no head. Tracy's story came flooding back to me, but what with the whole scenario around Carl getting stuck in the bathroom, I forgot I hadn't even told him the story about the servant 
and the guillotine. Carl carried on. I just grabbed me bag and bolted out of the door. You know what? It sounds mad, but it was like the fella in the doorway was waiting for this thing to form. Not bothered about me in the slightest. I had nightmares for days after that. In closing, I will say this. Whatever the truth is behind the history of that hall, I know what I experienced was 100% real, as I've stated here. This was a decade ago, of course, and Carl has since convinced himself that his sighting on that last night was just a nightmare, and that with tiredness on waking, his blurry eyes had made human forms out of dark shapes. And although I understand why he's tried to rationalise it for his own sanity, I believe that what he saw was very terrifyingly real. Thank you so much for submitting your experience, Andy. And, in truth, I completely get why your friend Carl has tried to rationalise that for himself. Because think about it. What is the alternative? On the one hand, Carl could say, I've had a nightmare, and move on with his life. On the other, he has to acknowledge the existence of the paranormal, the supernatural, and that he was confronted by two terrifying entities. Now, I know I, and I'm sure the majority of people listening right now, are believers in the paranormal, and therefore we can be baffled when a sceptic tries to rationalise something as blatantly paranormal as this. However, we shouldn't judge anyone for doing whatever they need to do to continue with their everyday lives. This is a terrifying subject and this is a terrifying experience. And for some people, acknowledging that these things can happen would be too terrifying to even contemplate. So instead, they rationalise, they laugh it off and they quickly change topic. I'm sure we all know someone like Carl. But this is why the Dark Paranormal Podcast exists. It's to remind us that sometimes you should be afraid in the dark. Sometimes that noise is not the house settling. Of course, we've all heard ghost stories about past loved ones coming to send messages and other such feel-good paranormal stories. We will never feature them on this podcast. Because on this podcast, we only want to remind you that the paranormal can be a dangerous and terrifying thing to experience. And so, with our mission statements reiterated there, we call an end to this episode of The Dark Paranormal. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you on Sunday for another episode of Dark Bites, and for everyone, I will speak to you next week for our next instalment of Season 8. So, until next time, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, Always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll speak to you next time, here on The Dark Paranormal.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.